This is the RV Entrepreneur Podcast, episode 218. I'm Alyssa Paget, back after taking a week off the podcast last week. Heath and I visited some family down in Texas we hadn't seen in six months. And when we got there, it was 70 degrees and sunny, and that is just the perfect weather to take a break from your laptop screen and enjoy the outdoors. Talking about the great outdoors on today's episode, we're tackling one of the best problems our viewers face on the road, which is where should we camp next? In their latest book, Jeremy and Stephanie Puglisi share the best campgrounds, the best glamp grounds, and destinations that you should add to your travel plans. We got an advanced copy of the book a couple weeks ago, and I've already taken pictures of different chapters and sent them to my traveling friends saying like, hey, this is near you, like you should totally go stay here. So in today's episode, Heath and Jeremy and Stephanie sit down and talk about how the camping industry has changed. We've all RV'd for many years now. And they also share just how they've planned road trips and what makes campgrounds awesome. If you want suggestions on where you should camp next, you can pick up their new book anywhere books are sold. And I'll drop a link to the Amazon listing for you in the show notes. But before we dive into today's episode, here's a word from this week's unsponsored sponsor, Craft Beer Travel and Adventure. Listening to the RV Entrepreneur Podcast, you know how to surround yourself with good people. So add us, some good people, to your circle. We are Ken and April Kishna, and we created the Craft Beer Travel and Adventure Podcast with Living a Stout Life to share the stories that inevitably arise from the craft beer community. Living and working in our RV while traveling the world in search of great craft beer adventures and good humans, we bring creative thinkers and inspirational go-getters together around craft beer. Find the Craft Beer Travel and Adventure podcast anywhere you listen to your favorite podcasts. Thanks, April. A few months ago, we asked our RV Entrepreneur Facebook group to send us their own 30-second ad promoting their remote business, and it's been really fun getting to choose which unsponsored sponsor, which is what Heath named them, each week. So if you have a business that you are running from your RV and you want to share it on the show, you can just send us a voicemail and get included. Okay, on to today's episode. Jeremy and Stephanie, thanks so much for being on the podcast. Thank you very much for having us, Heath. Thank you. It's, I think, been about five years since we've been on the show. It's great to be back. I should have looked before this. I don't remember what episode y'all were on of the RV Entrepreneur, but it was definitely in the relatively early days, wasn't it? I feel like it was like episode 17 or something. I mean, yeah, it was we definitely were, early. I think we were running you through your paces as a newbie <laughs> podcaster probably then. <laughs> I'm excited to catch up. And I, we were talking a bit before because you y'all both have so many different fun projects that you do in the space from books, content, podcasts, super parents, everything in between. One of the things I felt would be like a fun thread to pull on because coming out with your new book, And just to talk through is that y'all have been RVing now for 12 years and you've seen lots of shifts in the outdoor and hospitality space. So what are the things that from when you started traveling in your RV, going to campgrounds, how have things changed? I don't really like to admit the extent to which things have changed because it kind of ages us. But it really is true that 12 years ago when we bought our first pop-up camper, and we started to try to find places to camp, it was really hard, right? At that point, yes, I know the internet was (laughs) sort of a thing already, but we all know that even now, when you can book a hotel anywhere in the world on Expedia or a place like that, 
even now the campground space is a little hard to break into in terms of finding the campgrounds and figuring out what they have and book them. You know that quite well, right? Like you've made that a focus of what you're doing business. It's like a secret society. And even then 12 years ago, it was more so I'll never forget. We were in New Jersey and we had a weekend coming up and we had this new pop-up and I was like, where do we go? Where should we camp? And I had this coupon book from the dealer and I was literally thumbing through the coupon book, like calling up campgrounds, <laughs> seeing where we could get a spot. And it seems absurd now, but I think that was just the way people figured it out. The Good Sam phone book. And you would just sit there and start looking through it and trying to figure out or where like, you I could go. Or like I used the KOA, the paper KOA catalog, yeah. the print, yeah. print version. Yeah, so I think that even now, though, many people that are entering the RVing space and the camping lifestyle, they're shocked by how hard it is to find campgrounds and find information about them and book them. I think I'm always like, wow, we've come a long way, baby. <laughs> it's, you know, there's a lot more, um, more campground resources. information out there. When we started 12 years ago, I think Stephanie and I were both kind of shocked at how white, how predominantly white camping was uh, and how the real lack of diversity at campgrounds because we're from central New Jersey, which is a fairly diverse area. And we kind of take diversity maybe a little bit for granted. And then we went camping in our region and it was like, there were no African-American families. It camping. didn't feel like it was representative of what we would expect in our region of the country or in our area. So yeah, it was yeah, a little weird for us. That's improved. I mean, I'm not saying it's, it's amazing right now and there are definitely issues and things worth talking about in that department, but, but camping is becoming more diverse. And like in that KOA, their North American camping report, statistically, mm -hmm. it's it's proven that it is. Still, yeah. still a long way to go, but that's changed a lot since we started. And I'm happy about that. The data does back that up, but also our experience being in campgrounds in the last couple of years outside of New York City. I think a lot of the developments in the campground space about in having different types of accommodations and having different types of amenities and activities and almost being these like family campground getaways in some areas of the country. I think that has tapped into some people and populations that weren't previously thinking about camping as a as an activity for the weekend. We went to a Jellystone in the Catskills about mm -hmm. two years ago, and it, which is relatively close to New York City. It's maybe an hour and a half away. And it actually kind of looked like it felt, America. Yeah, it felt like our <laughs> it, real it was, life. There was a lot <laughs> yeah. of different types of people there. And yeah. I was like, wow, in a, in a decade, it this has changed. How you've been able to find and book campsites has changed, still has a good bit of way to go, same as diversity in the space. As far as in campgrounds, if you're thinking about how you experience inside of a park and there's a wide range of parks so maybe that would be a fun secondary topic to dive into but how has that changed when you think about how different operators and brands whether you're mom and pop or you're a real estate investment trust building 50 100 parks a year how has some of those pieces changed from when you first started traveling to now as far as how you interact inside the parks we've seen that wave that we've been covering campgrounds and reviewing campgrounds 
not that this hadn't happened previously, but let's face it, it was a real shock, I think, to the campground industry when the hotel and resort space took notice of campground opportunity and started to gobble up some campgrounds, right? That happened, let's say, seven years ago. We saw that start to move. We had experience with one particular company that started to do it a lot in our area of the country, and their campgrounds just became like the hot ticket to be at. We really watched that happen with a few companies and we saw them bring very specifically the concept of, first of all, dynamic pricing. All of a sudden now you couldn't say, right, a campground is $60 a night or a pull through assist. And you saw that real fluctuation in prices from the hotel industry. And some people complained about that. But on the flip side, we also saw the introduction of concierge service. I'll never forget the first time we went to a campground that was run by a development company. And they had these packages that they had developed that tapped into the local community. For wine tasting. You could go on a farm tour and all this different stuff. And they were bringing that concierge desk concept right into the campground space. And that is so much more common now. I mean, it was shocking when it first started to happen. Particularly in the Northeast. To put a fine point on what Stephanie's saying, I almost look at that as a seismic change in the RV and campground space where you have these hotel companies coming in and buying up campground properties. And I actually have a concern there because when we started, you could go to a mom and pop campground with full hookups for 40 bucks a night. And now at least in the Northeast, and I think it's starting to creep into other parts of the country, camping is getting more expensive. And I do start to get a little concerned that a middle-class family with young kids on the limited income might not look at camping as the great bargain that it was when we started. Now, I'm not sure that's what's gonna happen, but it is, it's, a, it's a concern of mine. I have less concern about that than you do. I know that's something that everybody likes to clutch their pearls about pricing in Facebook groups across the country in the RV space, you know? And I have less concern about it because I think that right now the limits are being tested. They're trying to basically write the camping prices, you know? And, it, and it's the reason why these campgrounds are being gobbled up, right, is maybe it was an unsustainable business. Maybe these people were working really hard and not making enough money and they wanted to sell their campground. So, you know, to maybe make campground prices a little more fair for what you're getting out of the experience. Yeah. Yeah. I don't have a, a big problem with that. I think what's happening is that they keep going higher and higher and seeing where it's going to give. We saw a $170 tent site recently at a campground. And it wasn't at Fort Wilderness. It wasn't at Disney World. (laughs) So I think that there was a campground near us that recently to me took this to an extraordinary level. And it's not one of the nicest campgrounds to me in our area. $172 a night on holiday weekends. And it's not really the best resort I've ever been to. I will splurge for a great resort campground. And I said, I would never pay that. And but I just think camp- that's what's going to happen. So they're going to have to tap it into it. It's going to be like, okay, at what point do they stop booking just the weekends? And they have right. to come down a little bit and everything. I don't know. Maybe you're right. Maybe I just don't think camping's going to get unaffordable. And we also have state parks and public lands. And that really balances out the equation. That makes a lot of sense. My family came to visit us in Colorado this past summer and they were in RV and they went out to the Teton area at Yellowstone, which there's almost a land lock for being able to expand RV parks. And it was, I think, 200 bucks a night at a KOA because it was peak season and they were full and only had one available site. So that is the beauty of dynamic pricing as a software company and people in the space like know that 
you're not spending any more money as an operator, but you get to make a lot more cash on those sites. But it, there's a little bit of awkwardness I felt from a lot of campground owners. There's a change in mentality almost going from putting your rates on your website and on your wall and saying like, we're 40 bucks a night for RV sites back in and you leave it that way all year versus like, we're going to bump up rates 10% when we had 80% occupancy. That's a little bit of a mentality shift, right? It totally is. And I think that the old schoolers are never going to be okay with that. That's a concept in marketing, like the whole free donut thing. Like what if you give away free donuts and then you take that away, people will hate you for the rest of your life. Like the Red Cross, that's a good marketing story. It's one of my favorites. <laughs> so with the old schoolers, they're never going to be okay with that. They're always going to be like, oh, when I was young, you know, I could camp for So, but if people are used to that, that are coming into the industry now, I think it's just going to be, it has to, to me, if we want campgrounds to be sustainable and business for models. to want to build new campgrounds, which and we really do. People to want to go into the business like you are, you know, like it has to be profitable. We Otherwise, want you to buy a campground. We, and we want you to make money at your campground. <laughs> and we do, yeah, we, we really do. There's so many new RV owners. We need new campgrounds. Stephanie's right. It does have to be profitable. And I didn't want to sound crotchety before. I do think it's almost like a, a golden age for camping because there is such great variety, diversity, different price points, public and private, rustic and resort. You know, in a lot of ways, there's no better time to be an RV owner than right now. I mean, it's a little bit harder to navigate and, and to get the reservations, but it's all out there. And I also want to point out that when we compare to hotel rooms, I think that in the past, perhaps, camping was seen as the budget option. And this was something that we were part of, I think, the first generation of RVer to not really look at RVing so much as a bud. Like, oh, I want to camp because it's cheaper than another kind of vacation. It is, and we like the fact that we could, we felt, camp more. We could travel more because we had our RV. But I think when you, it's not an apples to apples, right? It's like a hotel versus a, a, a campground. If we prefer to stay at a campground, it's because we have our RV and our kids get to sleep in their beds and we have our kitchen and our refrigerator and maybe, full of food. Maybe we want to swim up a pool bar like at Nancy's <laughs> Landing in Delaware. <laughs> yeah. I think the camping industry has realized that people with $75,000 fifth wheels want some of the amenities and appointments that a resort hotel would have. That's been another seismic yeah, and, change. And a resort hotel that had the swim up pool bar would not be $200 a night. It's just like comparing a motel for a family of five. That would be like the Hilton. And no, I would rather have our camper at a campsite at a resort at Fort Wilderness for $200 a night any day over a Hilton Select. You know? Agree, agree, agree. <laughs> so it's a little and, more complicated, I guess. And to note on what you mentioned, Jeremy, too, it's one of those things where Bureau of Land Management, National Forest Land, State Parks, National Parks, if that is your style of camping, then those opportunities are going to be there for free RV sites or low-cost rustic campsites. So if somebody's looking to get into the space and say build an RV park, one of the things that you did in your book, and just give a plug real quick, where should we camp next is y'all's book. It's going to be coming out on what's the date? So February 22nd, we're out at Costco and 131 Costco stores. If anyone wants to email me at jeremy at rbfta.com, <laughs> I'll actually tell you if it's at your Costco store. He has the spreadsheet. <laughs> I have the spreadsheet. <laughs> I secured the secret document from Costco. And then March 2nd, it's out nationally at bookstores everywhere, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, IndieBound, and you can pre-order it right now. So you guys made this amazing 50-state guide for unique accommodations and just awesome campgrounds that you, um, I'm assuming, have been to a lot of them. 
And this is a really thoughtfully curated list. And one of the things that I thought was cool to read the book is you came up with your own kind of badges for different styles of campgrounds. And some of them are ones that I've thought about, other ones not so much like romantic getaway campgrounds. I've never really thought about them like that way. <laughs> well, you so, did that for years, Heath. You guys were bebopping all over the country, <laughs> being all romantic in except your for, RV. <laughs> except for our, our honeymoon in our <laughs> RV, like we went straight Passport America budget stock because we were broke and we couldn't afford more than 15, 20 bucks a night at campsites. Anyway, if somebody's- <laughs> I think about, we added that bad, the romantic getaway badge, because we just so just desperately so want. One. We're like, what's that like? So, because we haven't done, we haven't actually done, we haven't taken the no. RV out without the kids. So I think we were just injecting something into the right. We got our we, we got our RV when we had to win babies. There's no romance. <laughs> so thinking about that though, I like framing it up around you know picking your style apart. And you know there are a lot of people getting to the space, building campgrounds, investing in real estate. And I think it is important to pick a lane in a lot of ways and figure out like, what is the type of park that you want to build? Who do you want to attract to your campground? So when you're thinking about those kind of badges, can you share like, first of all, what are those badges? And then what are the specific kind of outlooks that you should have if you're thinking about going in a specific direction? So there's a rustic badge and a lot of the ones that earned the rustic badge were more like state parks, national mm -hmm. forests. There's the glamping badge the romantic weekend badge, which you might think there's a lot of overlap there, but you know, not always. And then there's a family friendly badge and there's a waterfront badge. We could have gone on and on with the badges, right. but I, we wanted them to be just something special. Like if you, re Stephanie really loves waterfront camping. Mm -hmm. So we wanted somebody like her to be able to just like flip through the book, find all the great waterfront campgrounds. You know, some people really want the glamping experience. So we just thought this, giving it the badge is a way for people to flip through the book and find those types of campgrounds. And the campgrounds with the badges are not necessarily, we're not saying they're the best campgrounds in the book. We're saying they're offering a more specific type of experience if that's your camping personality. And an on-trend experience. Those don't sound like trendy words, but they are very trending things in the campground space. So glamping is something that while much mocked, right, by people who have been RVing forever and everything, glamping really has touched a nerve over the last five years. You are seeing this turn to having these airstreams, these tents that are decked out with all or of something these. something like auto camp where right. you're renting airstreams. Right. You're paying far more to have that kind of experience than you would at a resort hotel, I and think, in most cases. And there's people that don't want that experience. And I want our book to be good for a van lifer, for a retired couple on a class A, and everybody in between. Well, I think that's the rustic trend Yeah, the, to the me. van like, lifer doesn't want to spend 150 bucks at night in a parking right. lot style campground with amazing amenities, but they want, might want to find that great national forest campground. They want to be in the middle of nowhere. Like, I get that. So it's like, give them that Stephanie rustic. Stephanie really wants I to be in the really middle of nowhere these days. I really get that. Really understand. So, and, and then of course, there's the family friendly, which is like an overused turn of phrase, but that is what people are doing. We're all too busy, we're worn out, we're disconnected, we want to reconnect with our families and have fun together. And so many people are looking for that when they buy their RV at that RV show with their family and they've never towed one or never driven one before, and all they're looking for is that great escape. That's why the places like Jellystone just touch such a nerve is because people Yeah, like the Jellystone's going to get the family badge every time. Yeah. You know, some of the KOAs are. Because people can just go there and just remember what it's like to just have fun together yeah, as a family. I think most campgrounds are great for families, but we wanted to highlight ones that are really designed yeah. around welcoming families to the campground. One of the things that comes to mind when I was looking at the places that made the list is 
thinking as we're getting into starting our first park and what are the pieces of the experience that you had at these campgrounds that made you say these are worthy to share and tell other people to come when you think about some of those central themes regardless of if it's waterfront or whatever what made you want to tell other people this is a, a great place to come stay because i think at the core of it yeah. that's that's like the stamp of a good hospitality business i i think you're you're absolutely right each one of these campgrounds had to feel special to us or to the person in our community that recommended it highly maybe reviewed it on our camp we had a, a campground of the week podcast where people just came on for years and reviewed campgrounds for us from around the country they had to be special and so we believe that the definition of special right changes where you're at in the country the type of campground it is what you're looking for but i really felt like it's that thing that a campground has like you were talking about staying in the lean i i feel like yes but it's also just embracing your point of view it's taking that like okay we're rustic but it's not like like bare bones, we're not caring for the property rustic. It's like making sure that you don't see a dumpster, right? In that rustic environment. It's that really special, like you don't even see the care that's taken in the property. And of course, customer service, at least for the private campgrounds is a common denominator. You could have a beautiful resort campground and if everybody's grouchy and mean that runs the place, I'm never going to recommend your campground. So in terms of the private parks in here, they've got the customer service part down. In terms of the, you know, the state campgrounds, the public campgrounds, I think they're ones that are particularly beautiful, that have nice sites, that are near national parks. And I also think there's like an indescribable quality to it, where I think that RVing at its best is a magical experience, whether you're traveling alone, you're traveling with a family, and it's hard to put your finger on what makes that magical experience happen. It could be a, you know, wide variety of different elements. But we wanted to list the campgrounds that, that have that magic, where you can go and have that really magical experience. Well, it's like something special. Like I remember, like is it Rafter J Bar Ranch in Mount Rushmore? Like the little community space of the campfire was special and unique. And then also like the hot tub, like this wasn't an all out resort place. This was really marvelously like state park-like almost, but, and yet it had these little touches. But diving in the pool, then getting out and walking over to their fire pit yeah. was awesome. Right. It was just so neat. And I saw either you or Alyssa post something about like what type of coffee you might serve yeah. or what type of like coffee beverages you might serve at your campground. And I thought, okay, these guys, these oh, guys have it right. like Highway West. Highway right? West. Will the kids ever for, forget pulling into a Highway West in the Pacific Northwest and getting handed warm cookies? You know, like mm. this, these are things that a campground can really like mark their personality and welcome you from beginning to end and make it feel like this is a special place because they know who they and are. And when as a I campground. saw you guys post that, like you're actually thinking about what hot beverages you're going to serve in the morning and, and what direction you should go with that. And the fact that you're putting that thought and care into it as future, you know, campground owners, that tells me you're going to, you're going to capture that magic. Like don't put mean signs all over the pool for me, Heath, because then I won't want to go and to we, your pool. And, and, and I'm not going to write I out the campground. Sign, mean I mean, we've actually been to campgrounds where there's like 52 signs telling you all the things you can't do. And you walk in and you're like, oh my God, like, I feel like I'm in a war zone. Yeah. Like I feel like I'm going to yell that. Exactly. I feel like I'm being yelled at. So yeah. 
you know, different campgrounds are going to create that magic in different ways. But the point is you're, that you're trying to do it, that the owners or the rangers, whoever it is, are trying to make it a special experience. I remember one campground we noticed, like the landscaping around the sewer connections was like impeccable. Like I was like, oh my gosh, they did this landscaping so that nobody would ever feel like they had their face, right? in their RV mm. hookups. And it was like, I just love that there's campground owners out there that really know what it's like to be on a campsite and then to want to enjoy the campsite, but then also want to enjoy the communal space. Those owners and... are probably campers and they know that every RV owner hates to pull in and be looking at somebody's sewer hookups five yeah. feet away. I think what I'm hearing from both of you is just the takeaway of being thoughtful and how important that is, regardless of what type of amenities where you're at, like scenic wise, that if you're thoughtful of the camper experience and your park as a whole and what you want to do with it, then you're going to end up going down a good path. And I remember thinking that was a big disconnect for me in the early days of a lot of the RV parks we went to is just, I didn't feel like a lot of them put the thought into the experience at all. And that was, and that's something that is really nice that is changing quite a bit. When you think about, and I'm sure this is a question that because of the podcast and and who you are, the work you've done in the space, you get asked a lot. And I want to try to ask in a slightly different way. When you think about the a campground that you've been to that just immediately brings you the most joy, which what campground is that for each of you? For me, it's Fort Wilderness at Disney. It's my happy place. We had three straight years or four straight years taking the kids to Fort Wilderness and doing Disney. It, to me, is a nearly perfect campground. It looks like a state park. The sites are large and private. It's deeply relaxing, but yet it has access to all kinds of off-the-hook adventures in the park. And I think that for years, the Fort Wilderness has served as sort of a standard bearer for a certain type of, of really high-quality campground. But then there's also state parks I love, too. So it's, it is such a <laughs> tough question, but I have to go with Fort Wilderness hate questions like this because I feel like I have to always like couch my answer and so there is a campground that to me I feel like it's a marker like would you go back there again and again and like when you close your eyes can you feel the feeling that you have there and ironically that was at this well it's a provincial park in Canada uh, called Graves Island uh, Provincial Graves Park, Island I'm getting park. that it's, right. The, the campground is an island. It's an island. I, it, Jeremy already mentioned, I'm obsessed with water, like just the views of water, like seeing the water from a campsite, walking, and it was just this magical place. No amenities. I don't think we had hookups. I don't know. We had some. I think we had water and electric, maybe. but no sewer. So it was just really bare bones, and you could walk forever, right, on all the paths, and it was just amazing, and I was there, and I thought, I'll never get back here probably anytime soon, because I'm telling you, it was such a hike. It took us so long to get there in Nova Scotia, <laughs> so I said, well, I'm not coming back here anytime soon, but then I was really grateful, because I do have a place that's much closer, which is, of course, the Bar Harbor, Oceanside KOA, outside of Acadia National Park, and that's one of those situations where it gives me those amazing water views, just Stunning beauty. The campground, meh. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm sitting here shocked that you're not saying Assateague State Park in Maryland That's because that now. is Stephanie's This is, this is why can. we loved doing this book is that we love state parks with like no amenities and we love the off the hook resorts that have all of the amenities. You know, we, we like all of it. We really do. Yeah, you're right. Maybe I should say <laughs> Assateague State Park and call it a day. And the wild horses walk through your site at Assateague. <laughs> 
there's a lot there's a lot of beauty out there. <laughs> there there's so many great campgrounds in this country it is yeah so that's what I like the places that make me feel really calm but then I have three boys that are totally crazy and bonkers and boisterous and we have these amazing times at these resort camps like if give them some water slides and they will go down those water slides all day and that's another kind of happiness in my life like I can sit there in a chair and actually read a book because they're going down water slides all day so I don't know. Who knows? What would you say is the most inexpensive experience you've had at a park that doesn't necessarily derive from being on the ocean or something like that, but just an experience that was facilitated at an RV park or campground that was really cool that didn't necessarily cost a lot? Because a lot of times you might be thinking as an RV park or campground provider that you need to go invest in a luxury swim up bar pool or something or a massive water slide, but there are also a lot of things that a lot of people value that aren't necessarily tied to spending tons of money. Is there anything that comes to mind? Well, the state parks come to mind, and but they, of course, can be cheaper because they're subsidized through you know tax dollars. But you know, like I've we've been at like Platte River Campground and Sleeping mm-hmm. Bear Dunes in Michigan, and it's like, how am I spending twenty dollars a night to be in paradise? Well, and, tubing right there, and I have electric. Yeah. Yeah. Up, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. so the state parks still offer this really incredible value. I think it's harder for the private campground owner I've to got do one that. From a private campground. Oh, I, I'm curious. Lake Placid, KOA. The Lake Placid, so KOA what do you do there? There's, affordable. there's cliff diving. Okay. So oh, nice. we sit there and we're at the campground and you can just walk down this path and you can make it to these cliffs and you can just go and cliff jump all day hours. and you're and what are you paying 50 60 dollars a keep night their prices yeah 60 bucks a night full hookups full through sites, cabins they have everything there and it is you're just sitting there and you're just walking over and you're cliff jumping and that's amazing i love that and that's a big campground i bet you they keep their prices down a bit because they have so many sites i thought at one point i it would be fun to kind of dig into this and I pulled it up on my screen. So we're, we're on a zoom call right now, so I can share some of this a little bit, but we recently sent out a survey to our email list and we got 735 responses asking people like, what's your favorite amenity. And obviously you take this with like a grain of salt. This doesn't represent the whole space. This is, and a lot of our audience are people like working on the road and stuff like that. But I'm curious to hear if either of you know what was the number one amenity that people said. Are you going to say, is it it's Wi-Fi? Not, it's not Wi-Fi, because <laughs> he wouldn't frame it as a question. The clean restrooms? I don't know. I would say my first guess would be Wi-Fi. My second guess would be Heath slinging crap roasted coffees every morning. A pool. <laughs> I do want to have a brick oven pizza maker at our campground. Yes, that we love. The Luray KOA. Yes, they, they had a pizza, fantastic, not anymore, I hear, oh. but they did. They used to have a brick oven pizza there. Oh, he, it's just as simple as putting two, like a ping pong table out in the middle of a big field under a tent. And it's just like all day kids will go out there. Our families will go out there. I think it's really simple to do things like that matter to people and just, you know, draw people into this feeling like this is a place that sticks out. But I have, are we wrong on Wi-Fi? We're totally (laughs) Uh, wrong. Wi-Fi was up there. What we asked people was the question, the way we framed it up was how much do you love these RV park amenities? And we said from one to five, it doesn't matter to me or I love it. And so the, I can kind of go through some of these and I'll build up a little bit of suspense until we get to the number one amenity, but swimming (laughs) pool seemed like a lot of people just didn't care. It was kind of like a mixed bag. 
fitness center, most people didn't care, but there's also, I've never really been to an RV park that had a great fitness center. But. No, I, I, I love a good gym at home. But then when I travel, it's like, I want to go with my dog and see, you know, the campground, sure. like I want to run around the campground. So. Yeah. And it's also funny to look at the graphs of these amenities too, because I'm looking at hiking trail now and it's a steady stair step up. Like people care more and more about it. Like 50% of people said, you know, this is a really important amenity. Camp store was kind of a mixed bag. And I'm assuming that's because camp stores are kind of a mixed bag on if they're good or not. Free coffee in the morning. 400 people, over 50% of people said they don't care, which blows me away. Maybe it's because people haven't served good coffee at campgrounds. Like <laughs> Jeremy we, rejects your data. <laughs> you, get, you give me free coffee, I'm a customer for life. Exactly. So yeah. We all own RVs and we make our coffee our own way. Yeah. I want, I, I'm going to go against the data on this one too, Jeremy. And I'm just going to say it's because campgrounds haven't served really good coffee. Because yeah. when we did an RV trip in New Zealand, we checked in and they gave us these great espresso and lattes. And I still talk and think about that all the time. So I just think that's a bit of a garbage answer. Trees at your campsite. I was actually pretty impressed to see 413 people said that this was super, super important, which is interesting. I mean, makes sense. I think um, I, that's kind of what I was pointing out with the whole landscaping thing. I think that it's more important than people even realize. Some people are in tune with how important it is to them, but a lot of people just know like, oh, I don't really like this campground. It's because there's no, there's not proper landscaping. Yeah, that's a good point. Volleyball, basketball courts, nobody cared. Nobody cares. <laughs> nobody cares. Cave sites was actually like pretty important. Tent sites, no one cared, but this is a community of our viewers that we surveyed. So we have to take that like uh, fire pits, pretty important. Cable, nobody cares. Uh, we've um, never, I don't think we've ever hooked up maybe once or twice hooked same. up the cable. In I couldn't day. even tell you how to do it. Wi-Fi, super important. 71.8% of people said that was a crucial amenity. Game club, nobody, game room or clubhouse, most people didn't care. 35% of people said they didn't care. Paved roads was pretty high. Like it, you know, it's scarce. Well, step. my kids would say that's important because they, they ride love bikes, riding yeah, their bikes. bikes. And we stayed at the Scudic Woods National Park Campground in Acadia National Park years ago. It was just open. And they talk about that campground still because it had the smoothest roads oh, <laughs> for them to ride their bikes on. <laughs> we, we, valued that more this past year just because of having a stroller because yep. gravel was not fun. So showers was kind of a mixed bag, but 38% of people said it was really important. Dog park was a lot more split than I would have thought. 34% of people said they didn't care. 31% of people said it's no, about 50% of RV owners have dogs and 50% don't. So there's the split. Yeah. yeah. And then there's people like us who own a dog who wouldn't be caught dead in a dog park. She doesn't want anything to do with it. So... Yeah. Hot tub was 45%. Didn't care. 15%. Super crucial. I'm going to be in the five, like the 15% that say it's Our crucial. kids live for hot tubs at campgrounds. And if it's they adults only, it. and if it's adults only two thumbs down. <laughs> Restaurant was kind of a mixed bag. This was the number one amenity views from your campsite. Oh, oh so views. I'm in the majority here. I'm typical. I mean, 72.8% <laughs> of people. I, you know, in a lot of the data, when I look at stuff like this, I'm like, okay, you know, this totally makes sense. But I just think that it's a really good reminder of, it gets back to the core reason why so many people do get on the road, which is to be in nature or to have amazing experiences in nature. And I think you can offset that with a lot of these other things, but it kind of comes back to, that's a pretty important component when you're thinking about where you're going to oh, park. Oh, the, the West Glacier KOA was a resort like none other with the pools and the multiple pools and oh, the hot and tubs. And the mountains in the background. And the 
the views from that campground of the mountains were phenomenal and the landscaping was phenomenal the wi-fi stunk but oh well they had a lot of other boxes <laughs> but that checked. that but photo, you can mix the you photo can... of the sites at that campground with the mountains in the background was the most likes i've ever had on an instagram post so it kind of confirms your data that what people what makes <laughs> yeah. people swoon is i want to be looking at something yeah. beautiful from my from RV. my rv and i definitely identify that that is when i'm most happy at a campground for sure yeah, so I, I don't know if that data aligns with what you both have seen across the board. Sounds like some of it, maybe a little bit, others not so much. Yeah, I think that you're probably right that you have a group of people that care more about certain things than maybe the broader, the if you know, if you had a swath that was like only camping when they're on vacation. Like I think that's gonna change things up a little bit. I know we book campgrounds differently when I know we're gonna have to work. Right. or when we're going to be able to just, you know, disconnect. So I do think that makes a difference. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. Well, I'm excited to dig into your book, Where Should We Camp Next? Because there are a lot of awesome parks that I have never heard of. And you guys have them broken out by state in these like beautiful little graphs and charts. So if you're listening to this, I would highly recommend picking up this book. And it sounds like you guys will be a concierge if somebody wants to know which Costco they can go pick the book up. But I'm assuming it's <laughs> going to be at other stores. It's going to be on Amazon. Everybody Everywhere, Mark. Everywhere books are sold. I hate the thought of somebody going to their Costco and then the book is. <laughs> the, the word from Costco was it's in their outdoorsy stores. You know, so like sadly, it's not in our Costco store in New Jersey, but like every Costco in like Colorado and Utah and California, you know, definitely has it for sure. And I think that. Like, you know, you just mentioned concierge again, Keith, but I think that the word, I think you mentioned it earlier, the word curation, and that is the most important word to us when we do our content, because, you know, I said at the beginning of this episode, oh, we didn't have any information when we were trying to track down campgrounds 12 years ago. Now it's almost the opposite. Now it can feel overwhelming for people. Like, what are you going to do? Google campgrounds in... New Jersey, right? Like that doesn't actually get you anywhere. Does that Google search get you closer to a place that's going to bring like total camping joy to your heart? I don't think so. Like we actually think it's helpful to view like the campground through the eyes of somebody that knows what some people like and are looking for. Or you your know? trusted guides. Yeah. Like, Hey, this is, and we love it all. So I think that we're not critics. Like in in spirit we're not critics like we go to every place we go to looking for the good and looking for what it has to offer we don't go to places to pick it apart and find out what yeah we every like campground in the book is a recommendation yes. but then we're also very honest about the shortcomings of certain places like we'll say we love this campground but, it's but the sites yeah right? the sites it's are not that big so if you yeah. don't want to have another rv eight feet away you might not want to come here so yeah. we, you know we have a critical eye on it too but these are all places we recommend yeah, and one of the things that comes to mind for me in, in a lot of ways is it's almost how I choose my books to read, which is you can go to Amazon and just look at all the ratings and everything, and I do that sometimes as well, but my favorite way to find new books is I go to people's book reading lists who I enjoy following and I appreciate their content because it's a curated list from somebody who I trust their judgment, 
And mm -hmm. I found almost the books that come from those lists are way better than like any generic rating system from that perspective. So yeah, they've done the curation for you a little bit, right? Exactly. So it can be it, exhausting. In the terms of, of curation too, just I want to encourage your listeners, like please shop local too. You can get order our book from your local bookstore. You can get it from IndieBound. And a lot of little independent stores do carry it. And we're in an age where Amazon seems to dominate everything, but you can get our book at your local bookstores. Oh, well. since we're supporting local businesses, can I make one campground plug? I feel like For sure. when people sometimes look at recommendations in a book like ours and they say, well, I don't like KOAs, right? Like KOAs are like, it's like a corporation or something. And it's just something that I always like to point out to people that some of the most amazing mom and pop run businesses that we've ever been to have been KOA. So this, these are oftentimes individually owned. Uh, 470 of the 500 yeah. are individually owned by people that live and in And a lot of them yeah. sometimes are families that like the second generation has now taken that KOA over and is doing things like doing their like, or I'm thinking of a campground in Virginia where it's like they're running their barbecue right. stand from there and like the son's smoking his barbecue all day at the campground. And, you know, that's just a plug for the campground owners out there, I, I think that they're some of the hardest working people that, you know, that own businesses. I always think, gosh, that's exhausting. I wouldn't want to do that, but good luck, Keith. <laughs> we, tell, we always tell people too, if you have a great experience, write a good review. People tend to be cranky when they have a negative experience. You should also be positive when you have a good one. And we've been telling people on our podcast for years, thank the manager, thank the campground owner. If you have a nice experience, it really, you know, you can make it. So they can job. replicate yeah. it. Yeah, too. And they know what people are responding to. So really, like, I think, you know, face forward with camping, like it's all about people. It's about relationships and really go into it with that, with the goal of like meeting special people all around the country. And I think that you'll be pleasantly surprised. I love it. Well, Jeremy and Stephanie, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and excited to read the book and for it to be out in the world. Outside of your book, if there's a good place for people to connect with y'all online, where would the where would that be? The RV Atlas group on Facebook or the RV Atlas on Instagram and everywhere else. It's just the books have different titles and it's uh, Where Should We Camp Next? And our previous book was See You at the Campground. And our podcast is the RV Atlas. Our podcast yeah. is the RVA. <laughs> we do that sometimes. We do that and, twice a week. <laughs> Anthony is also a, an awesome content editor for the Togo Group. I am, yeah. So you can see all of. She's not a content editor. She's the head Stop. of content. <laughs> so, the editor um, of content. I didn't mean to demote you. <laughs> so over at roadtrippers.com, the magazine I oversee, and also at togorv.com, all those great articles, which Alyssa has been uh, very kind to contribute to over the last year, too. So yeah, we're doing some, hopefully, some really good and helpful stuff over there because that's always my goal is to help people in enjoy this lifestyle. I love it. Well, thank you all so much for coming on the podcast. Oh, thank you. And we, Thanks, we admire both nice of you so much and, and just can't wait to see what happens with your campground and congratulations on your new home and settling into <laughs> Colorado. You know, we find you guys to be an inspiration as well. So uh, we will hopefully visit. we talk soon. Thanks guys. If listening to Jeremy and Stephanie has you wanting to hit the road, you can figure out where to camp next by grabbing their new book, Where Should We Camp Next? Thank you both so much for coming on the show and we'll see you guys next time on the RV Entrepreneur Podcast.